friends, we're back. Thanks for joining us on the Proverbs 31 Ministries podcast, where we share biblical truth for any girl in any season. I'm your host, Meredith Brock, and I am here with my co-host, Kaylee Olson. Hey, Meredith. Hey, friends. If you're subscribed to the podcast, then you know we're back for the third installment of our Therapy and Theology, How Do I Get Through This series, which has been so helpful and healing for so many of you. You know, we've heard from so many of you going through hard seasons, and although this topic isn't always easy to discuss or hear, we do pray that it's helpful to you in whatever season you're facing today. Lisa Turkhurst has been hosting this series in an effort to answer some of the most common questions she's received through social media and email about how she walked through her own personal season of suffering. Mm -hmm. So this series is her way of reaching out to our audience at large and bringing answers straight to your ears. Here at Proverbs 31, we're all about equipping you to know the truth of God's word and live that truth out because it truly changes everything. It's our prayer that this podcast help you do just that. Absolutely. And before we transition into the conversation you're about to hear, we do want to preface with a little warning. This content touches on some sensitive subjects and may not be suitable for young children. We know many of you listen in the car, and if you've got youngsters in the back seat, this might not be a good idea to listen to with them listening. So just pause it and do that at a later time. Additionally, this content could also serve as a trigger due to circumstances in your past. We ask that you use your own discretion in listening, but more importantly, we pray that this content helps you process whatever you're facing. Here's Lisa. During our last episode, we talked about the difference between reconciliation and redemption. And I want to carry that over into this conversation um, today. Of course, I'm joined here again by Jim Cress, my personal counselor, but uh, world-renowned <laughs> therapist. Can I say that? Well, you just did. I'll take it. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Don't know what awesome. it means. <laughs> And um, also, my dear friend, and almost a doctorate in theology, a doctor of theology, is that right? Doctor of theology. Doctor of PhD, theology, yeah. PhD. Yeah. Really smart dude when it comes to the Bible and many other things. Joel Mutamale, welcome, guys. Awesome, thank you. All right, so um, for the purpose of continuing our conversation from the last episode, but narrowing the focus a little bit, I want to talk about in this episode. What about redemption when reconciliation is not possible? Either because abandonment has happened in the relationship or divorce has happened in the relationship or the spouse has passed away or the person who you desire reconciliation with, um, they're not willing or maybe they're gone for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. So what do you do to pursue redemption and moving on in that specific scenario? And I will say that, um, I said this in the last episode, when I wrote my book, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, I wrote it from the vantage point of needing to seek redemption with God, not knowing at all if reconciliation was gonna be really possible. Just to share a little bit more of um, our story of of what um, my experience has been um, three years ago, almost three years ago to right now, Mm. um, I discovered that my husband, best friend, life partner for over 20 years, um, was knee deep in an affair. And um, it shocked me and stunned me and rattled me to the very core. I, um, Mm. 
I didn't even know what to process, how to process this. I, I, did, I certainly didn't know how to move on. I kept saying to people, I feel like my, emotionally, I feel like my right arm has been chopped off. And if that happened, like if I was in a severe car accident today and my right arm was taken off, people would know what to do. They mm -hmm. would see the blood, they would call 911, mm -hmm. an ambulance would come, they would take me to the hospital, the doctors are trained in physical trauma, and mm -hmm. they would have an immediate way to respond to me, and they would tend to me with great care and great concern. Mm -hmm. However, that's for physical trauma. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you've experienced emotional trauma, which I certainly experienced upon discovering that um, things were not right in my marriage, far from it. Um, I felt like emotionally my arm had been chopped off, I was bleeding out, and there was no emotional emergency trauma center to go to. Mm. And I did not know what to do. Yeah. I know sometimes when I tell the story, um, especially in a podcast interview or a radio interview, I'm not able to get into the depth of emotions that I was experiencing, the depth of pain and sorrow and suffering that I walked through. That's why for me, it was really important to write It's Not Supposed to Be This Way because I wanted someone else to know they're not alone. Mm -hmm. And um, that may be the first step in helping someone not bleed out emotionally when yeah. they've experienced a trauma. So that book, I wrote it in the middle of walking through this. Um, and it's not until the very end of the book that you find out that it's even possible. I wrote an epilogue right before the book went to print. And um, basically the epilogue was, um, I've decided to take the hand that's been offered to me. It's as surprising to me as anyone else. Mm. Um, and I say, okay, Art, let's try. I didn't think the story was gonna end that way. Um, and Jim, you know, I know you have to be careful because you were my therapist walking through this with me. You counseled me at every twist and turn of the story, and there were many twists and turns. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if you were brutally honest that you would say you thought that reconciliation was gonna be possible for us. You can comment if you want to, you don't have to. I don't know what all the laws are around what you can say and what well. not to say. <laughs> but you, you know for me, I'm gonna push the envelope <laughs> for the sake of you our listeners. You can push the envelope. Uh, I said this, you, and we did this on your the, the book launch, the video that aired there is, it's not a cop-out, is I, I'm call it optimistic or something, but I always believe there is a possibility that reconciliation uh -huh. could happen. What I saw with where you were and where you both were was it was going to take um, you know a, a lot of time and, and work, and we've talked about trust as rebuilt over time plus provable behavior mm. plus experience, and I uh, always have a vision that it could happen. Uh, sometimes just as a therapist, period, uh, in a darker moment where it's like, boy, this feels not maybe like hell, but near hell, whatever that is like, this is dark in this moment. Yeah, we. I can sit there and say, I don't know, is there gonna be much hope? So take off your therapist hat and just yeah. comment to me as a friend observing uh -huh. the situation. How bad was it? It was bad. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think, um, even just what you've made comments in this podcast here, um, yeah, I think you. it was bad. I don't know how to say it differently. Do I say, not the comparisons, the point it was worse, the worst story I'd ever heard? No, um, 
I, I, I saw the, quite frankly, the trauma in you, and you've alluded to it, but mm -hmm. physically and just all that mm -hmm. went on, and it was, uh, it was watching a very bad movie, a very, mm -hmm. uh, a very scary movie. So I think it was really, really bad, and every person that's ever been in an affair, every person has to weigh, are they really, 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 really willing to get out of that? That's part one. That doesn't, that's just part one. The other part is, just because they get out of an affair is, do they really want to go back and are willing to do what it takes to reconcile? Because I have never seen, I've never seen, where if a couple is living in a true one fleshness, that has mm -hmm. to be a true in the moment, I've never seen one time an affair happen, never heard of one happen. People mm -hmm. think, if you let me autopsy it, word I use, or post-mortem it, I'll see that one partner began to move away a little bit. Mm. So if they moved away to get into the affair, I don't think they come back like that. They say, I'm gonna end the affair. Now I think I'm open to reconciling. Well, there will be much work to do mm -hmm. because where they entered the affair, there was some breach. There was some yeah. separation, which they felt experientially, I don't know that I, that I wanna put everything in on this marriage. I have the right to, or I'm, I'm, I'm unhappy here. So if they come back and wanna reconcile, they've gotta look at, can I reconcile? Do I really also want to come back? So I had hope. It was bad and uh, proud of, in my opinion, for, for you, you both, that you, you did the work. Mm -hmm. And But there were seasons where it appeared as if reconciliation was yeah, not going to be possible because, I mean, we would get to a certain point and then things would fall apart again. Mm -hmm. And the details around that falling apart... Um, aren't really that important, right. except that I, I will say the falling apart was so bad that after round and round and round and round and round and round and round of that, um, I got to the point where I said to Art, um, I love you and I can forgive you, but I will not share you. Mm. And at that point, um, two profound conversations happened. Number one, um, you and I had to do some deep work on me. It was no longer time to work on the marriage. Yes. It was time to work on me. Mm -hmm. And number two, I remember Joel, and I think you said it was one of our hardest study sessions ever. But I, um, I just said, Joel, what do I do biblically at this point? And, um, you know, having both of you in my sphere of influence was a tremendous gift. Not everyone has that. Mm -hmm. So for those of you, and there seems to be thousands of you that have reached out to me through social media, through sending emails, even um, I don't often get to look at the DMs, the direct messages on Instagram. Every now and then I'll pop over, but I'm overwhelmed at the reality mm. this conversation has not yet been had in mm. a way that's accessible to people that are desperate. Yeah. And so I'm very determined to go there today in this episode when it is not possible to reconcile. And um, first, can I just say, for those of you who are not in that situation, I think it's very valuable that you listen to this episode today because there will be people in your sphere of influence that are walking through this, and this episode will help you. Mm -hmm. It will help you know how to be a good friend mm -hmm. um, or maybe a good pastor, a good leader in the situation. And for those of you who are knee-deep in the situation, can I just say, I am so sorry. Mm -hmm. I know the depth of your pain. We don't ever want to compa compare pain. Right. You know, how bad was my 
situation, how bad was your situation? You know, that's not, we need to just sort of sidestep all of that. Yeah, yeah. If a relationship has caused you significant pain, it needs to be dealt with. And so let's go there today. Yeah. Um, Joel, I want to talk to you first about, um, you know, just the reality that some relationships will not reconcile. And um, I don't know that I knew biblically what to do in my circumstance. Um, at that point, it felt as if divorce was there. And you say divorce, and all of a sudden, it seems like Christian people scatter. They don't know what to do with it. It feels almost like, okay, here's how we'll do with it on Tuesday night. We'll have a divorce recovery group. <laughs> Let's put them in this classroom over here. And and I get that. Like, I'm not faulting anybody. And I'm saying maybe divorce recovery groups are awesome. You know, it's just let's have an honest conversation today. Mm -hmm. Like, what does the Bible really say? Mm -hmm. And what do we do in those situations where reconciliation is not possible? And maybe it's because the other person has demanded a divorce, the other person has abandoned the relationship, or the other person has um, just simply said, I found someone else. Whatever the situation is, reconciliation isn't possible, so now what? Yeah, oh gosh. Um, <clears throat> Uh, a lot of different emotions go through. I think about when we had that conversation, and when you said that was the hard, that was literally probably one of the hardest ministry assignments that I've ever had to do. Um, um, so I'm ga I'm gathering a little bit of my thoughts because it was difficult to even even be in a position where I had to search the scriptures to really mm -hmm. unpack it because it was about two people I really cared about. Um, I think the first thing that's important is for us to see recap from the last episode is that forgiveness is a biblical mandate. I just want to go, go to that. So mm -hmm. regardless of if reconciliation is possible, what scripture calls us to is forgiveness. And if we can forgive the other person, we are um, left out of the bondage that we can put ourselves into. And I just think that's super important. Secondarily, uh, redemption and reconciliation. Reconciliation is a fruit of the redemption, right? Um, in the New Testament, uh, redemption has this imagery of um, somebody being bought or purchased, a slave often being bought or purchased. Um, and so we just have to recognize that those terms and how the, those things are separated. So if that purchase, if that exchange hasn't been bought, hasn't been accepted, and the, the two people come back together, well, reconciliation is not possible. So uh, it's interesting that often in the New Testament, when we're talking about these things, it's talking about the relationship, the vertical relationship, Jim, you talked about it, that we have with God. Um, now we're in this position where we find ourselves unable to reconcile with another person, but but we've forgiven them. And what does the Bible have to say about it? First, I think it's my responsibility that to point out that the scriptures value marriage. Like the reality is that God's chosen imagery for the relationship between Jesus and the church is marriage. There's a, there's a reason for that. It's also important for us to realize that in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, there have been scenarios and situ situations where uh, when reconciliation was not possible, a, a divorce certificate would have been given. Um, and those require, I'm not punting on this, but I do think it's important to return to the scriptures and to, and to be a part of a local church, to seek counsel from, from some mm -hmm. pastoral support because it's never anything lightly. Like, Lisa, your situation and circumstance was years of work. You, you processed through it. You had Jim. You had uh, 
pastors uh, in your life. Art had pastors in his life. Um, there was shepherding and counseling that was taking place for you, uh, and you find yourself in that position where you were about you're uh, in. Uh, a place of making a decision because you put in some very difficult work, right? And God did That's something true. amazing in your life. Um, and so I guess in a roundabout way, what I'm saying is that the Bible does allow for divorce in some very difficult situations, primarily in marital unfaithfulness. Uh -huh. um, but I feel it's my responsibility to say, fight for your marriage to the best. Now, here's some just common sense stuff, and I, Jim, I want you to kind of maybe speak into this. I am not saying that, like one of the best things that, and Lisa, maybe you can talk about is separation. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just because, like, if you're in a position where you're being hurt emotionally, physically, any of those types of things, like separate yourself from that situation mm -hmm. and allow the, the time and the support that is needed to, to mm -hmm. step in. Um, and so separation absolutely is a great first step in terms of figuring out um, all these different dynamics. Well, and I'll say mm -hmm. uh, regarding that, you know, there, our circumstances, I, I've had two in-depth conversations just in the past couple of weeks. Um, one with a man who is fighting for his marriage and um, his wife has been the one to step outside of the marriage. And it is hard and heartbreaking to see him fighting for something, not only because he wants his family together, but also because he believes in um, the reality of those vows that he took mm -hmm. with God and, and the, the covenant with God and the commitment to um, his wife. And it's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. It is heartbreaking to watch someone fight so hard for their marriage and yet to still see things unraveling on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, same thing, um, I've had a conversation with um, uh, a gal that, um, again, fought so hard for her marriage and just was never given the choice because mm -hmm. her husband was not willing to even consider counseling or consider. So when we say working on the marriage, we very much acknowledge that it's to, you can always work on yourself, but you working on the marriage is is complicated when the other person is not also willing to work. So I think it's important to acknowledge that. And you know, when you mentioned separation, I think that's a good point. Um, certainly we are not advocating at all to stay in an abusive situation mm -hmm. at all. Um, and uh, I did not have uh, any kind of physically abusive situation going on in my marriage. There were some other dynamics though that created the need and the necessity for separation. And Jim, you helped us walk through this and determine mm. that separation in our circumstance was, um, was what needed to happen. So talk to someone since we brought this to the table about the separation, you know, when, when do you feel like that that is an apparent possible solution? Yeah, and I like that as a, a next step. I, I try to if, if couples come or an individual comes and the, the D word comes up around divorce is to take it and just say, you know, overtly set it aside. Mm -hmm. you know, no need to go to that 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 fast. Um, there is a piece that with the separation, what we typically call a therapeutic separation, mm. which is to provide safety. And if a person is there and there's verbal, emotional abuse going on, the person continues to act out. Just the idea of an STD or an STI, sexually transmitted infection, all these things that <coughs> I got to stop. <coughs> Can I pick up with that? Mm -hmm. I, it's it, the throat. I was trying to let it pass. I know where to start. 
which is right where Lisa pitched me that. Can I do that? Pick up? Mm -hmm. All right. <clears throat> Lisa, one of the things that I uh, steer away from if someone comes into my office, either the couple or an individual, and they bring up the D word divorce, is just set it aside to not go there right mm -hmm. away. The separation piece, I, I primarily look at safety. Mm. Is the person, if there's infidelity, are they still acting out? Um, if, you know, the idea of some people don't even think about an STD or an STI, uh, where there could be some sexually transmitted infection or disease going on, and the spouse may say, still be sexual with me, and that's, that's just a time bomb, mm. potentially. The issue of verbal and or emotional abuse. Uh, that that's going on, which has its own impact on a person. The therapeutic, as we call it, back to the word therapy, healing, a therapeutic separation ought to be under guidance, if that's under a pastor, an older couple, or a therapist, to say we're going to be not just willy-nilly, let's separate. Here's the time and the space is to get safety. The ideal would be in a marriage is a husband and a wife would appropriately go to their two corners, do their individual work, come together and do some couples work to find out for if the wife is there and she's been... Uh, under you know the, the impact of infidelity for a husband, explore the impact, what it's done to you. Trust but verify. How do you verify if the guy is still acting out or not? So the therapeutic separation is to get someone safe over here because also uh, in, in my story that I haven't hidden, it's out there in books and radio shows and a lot of other places, I lived in infidelity with my wife for years um, in pornography. That is infidelity. If there is something not required of me, like a spouse, if she does not eventually have boundaries with me, the boundaries are to actually keep her safe, it mm. can enable me to continue on. I actually need consequences to say, this actually agape love, seeking mm -hmm. my highest good to say, I'm gonna separate over here under some pastoral help or therapy help, I'm gonna be over here because if you let me just live around and go on as though no, there's no problem, it won't ever help me maybe come to my bottom line to go, I could lose something here. Mm -hmm. So I think it's about safety and then there, time plus experience to look. I wanna say this, I don't know how it's gonna sound but this is what I believe and I think, I think some research backs it up. I want this to be descriptive, not prescriptive, what I'm mm -hmm. about to say, it's not mm -hmm. a prescription. If in a case if a husband's being unfaithful, what I've seen is if a wife separates has support, does her own work. We believe typically healthy people to a degree are only gonna bond with healthy and unhealthy are only gonna bond with unhealthy. If she gets not perfect, but healthier and healthier and healthier, he will either join her, it's almost like what fellowship hath light with darkness. Mm. I know I'm twisting a scripture there probably. He'll either join her and start getting healthier herself or the gap will widen. And what I've seen experientially descriptive, not prescriptive, is that that guy will go further into a sin, he will lie, he will act out, or he'll realize, I'm just not gonna stay, he'll go full into sin, or he'll file for divorce himself. Mm -hmm. It's very practical if she says, I'm gonna work on me getting healthy. Um, nature hates a vacuum, so I think this middle ground of nothing happening is not gonna last very long. I've watched it time after time. I don't know if that speaks to it directly, but that's what I see about separation, letting that play out before the divorce word even comes up. And I would say there's a lot of good that can also come Very in much. a separation when the wife is doing work on her side of the street, mm -hmm. the husband is doing work on his side of the street, 
and appropriately when it's time that the two paths converge again. Um, and but, a team, whether it was a pastor you yes. all worked with, Michael Cusick, my dear friend, who you guys did work yes. with, me, others, and you have a team that comes and says, we're going to be a personal board of directors of your marriage. We're going to trust but verify. That team approach to come in like a team of biblical elders, to mm -hmm. borrow a term, and go, mm -hmm. we're going to sit there and say, here are the performables. Here's what we see. Here's what we see going on, even discernment from God about what's going on, to have mm -hmm. the team say, here's where we think you are to reconcile or not. That team approach, more than just one counselor, is huge. Yeah. So, but let's go there now. Okay, it does not work. And yeah. now the relationship is no more. And reconciliation is not possible. And like I said, it could be because of the loss of a spouse. It could mm -hmm. be because you know of divorce. Um, but whatever the case may be, now how do you move forward in redemption when reconciliation is not possible. We've said it, but how do you do it? Well, can I throw one out that's gonna be real practical? Mm -hmm. uh, and this is just a freebie add-on. Uh, I, I really feel for people, even against good, wise counsel, who will bop right into a new relationship. Mm -hmm. It looks like this relationship's done. Mm -hmm. If you only knew the Christians, and I'm not being judgmental here, who sit in my office, and there's no divorce, forget the legality and the biblical part for a moment, set that aside for a moment. They're not even really divorced yet, and a person says, but I'm already moved on to a new relationship. It's quite rampant is what I see. So that's yeah. just an insert to say, don't move on, date yourself, be with yourself in a relationship. And I think if you give it time, the other part about time is, you know, even like a year ago, there's a sense that maybe God, God is gonna move, but something could happen to your spouse in that one year. Now, you come to the part and say, but they've moved on. A classic one would be if the person's moved on with another relationship and they say, I'm gonna get a divorce, then I think face that reality that it's over. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to say that more clearly. The divorce rate still seems to be 40 to 50% in the church, somewhere in that window, but to say, my spouse has moved on with someone else. Even if they're not remarried, but they're in an affair, I think to stay here and say, you know, again, um, I, I think too, and maybe it was in your case early on, the issue was what does divorce mean? And I'd like to, can I punt to you for a minute? Mm -hmm. So I understand that there was part of Judaism that if a man was unfaithful, that at one level could actually equal the divorce. Divorce just means severing. So I think sometimes if a guy is perpetually acting out, isn't there almost a practical divorce already going on? Yeah, I mean, they're all, he's already divorced himself. The, the idea is one flesh. I mean, right. This has gone all the way back to Deuteronomy mm -hmm. and to Exodus and this idea that when, uh, to Genesis, when a uh, husband and wife become one, they become one flesh. And so, uh, and you had a brilliant example of where you're talking about uh, when unfaithfulness takes place, it's, it's the, the backing away of the one flesh. So yeah. I don't wanna get too deep into this, but in Jeremiah, there's this phrase that's called in Hebrew, shuv. It means, to, it, it's a double play on words. It can mean uh, to turn to or to return. And so uh -huh. this word is often used about the Israelites or people of God of when they're being forced into idolatry or, or walking towards idolatry, they're actually turning away from God and Jeremiah is calling them to return to God. Okay. Um, the same thing is happening in the sense of a marriage context, I think, is when you start to do this thing in pornography or adultery or uh, you know these, these other s sexual sins take place, you're pulling away from the one fleshness that God had intended for you to do. And what God's calling us to, to the offender, is to return. Mm 
back to your, your marriage, to the faithfulness, to the covenant that was established between the two. When that does not take place in the Old Testament, um, Moses gives uh, a decree basically that says, hey, you can actually give a marriage certificate in this instance. A divorce certificate. A a divor yes, a yeah. divorce certificate uh, in this instance. This gets into a lot, like if there is one <laughs> theologically debated kind of just challenging topic, it's this. Um, it's kind of outside of even our scope to even be able to dig in. I mean, we went through this for a long, long yeah. time. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll give three positions. And again, I, I want to uh, request that you kind of do some homework, go to the scriptures, go to trusted pastors to navigate through where kind of the interpretation lies. Um, the position is uh, one, divorce is not possible. I don't think we see that in, in scripture because of all the things we just talked about. The second position is that a divorce is possible, but remarriage after the divorce is not possible. Um, the third one is divorce is possible and remarriage is possible. Um, so those are just very practical kind of um, application points that you'll probably need to just go back to the scriptures and to your trusted counselors to, depend, to navigate through that. Um, all of that points to, and again, I just wanna take us back to, this is not a thing to take lightly. Yeah, if good. you think about the amount of scholarly, theological, pastoral counseling work that's been put into this, it's because this was never God's intention in the first place. And so because of that, we should do everything that we can as, as is permittable and as a safe to try to restore or to reconcile um, if possible. But if that other person isn't able to do it, right. you should not be held in bondage to that person. Separation is a great option. Um, and then also trying to navigate through that. So let's talk about redemption though, not redemption as in a new relationship because right. like we've said do it too quickly it can be disastrous there are some uh, theological camps that you know don't even entertain that idea some mm -hmm. that do but let's set all of that aside let's talk about redemption with God moving on when you have faced the end of your marriage and it is devastating it is just devastating um, the emotions are complicated. The trauma is deep. The, um, it's, it's really like a death of the expectation. It of, is, I call divorce or the long separation that cannot be healed. I call it the death of a marriage. And in psychology, there's a thing that's been used for years, the Holmes and Ray stress test. Top two things, death of a spouse, only seconded by what? divorce of a spouse, mm. the top two stressors. It's a classic stress test that has been used. And in both <clears throat> of those circumstances, there is a significant loss. Absolutely. And the, the thing is though, with the death of a spouse, if you're in a loving relationship and you lose your spouse, at least you are comforted by, if there is comfort, and trust me, mm. that is devastating. But at least there is the comfort of knowing the other person didn't want to walk away. And- There's closure. There's closure. And it, the closure is more obvious, I think. In the divorce, what can be so complicated is the rejection factor that's added onto the loss that not only did the other person willingly walk away, but they may have been happy to do so. And that's so, when it gets really hard. They were actually happy. It wasn't like, oops, oh, they were like, I'm out of here. Yeah. That's hard. And so both lead to a deep grief so Jim, talk to us from a therapeutic standpoint. I know we can 
quickly check in with the grief cycle and see right, all the phases yeah. and all of that. And to me, you know, sometimes I want grief to be as tidy as a checklist and that is not it. Me too. But what would you say is the number one first thing for someone facing this? What do I do? I'm gonna go to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief and not to just parrot them out. Shock and denial up first. And I would say give yourself permission at a later stage, like we now think this marriage is not going to be reconciled, maybe the divorce hasn't happened, to allow yourself the, the freedom, yeah, it sounds weird, doesn't to say freedom, to say, I'm in shock right now. That's right. Mm-hmm. I'm in denial. This is like somebody's T-boned me in an intersection yet again. Mm-hmm. So I'm allow myself, and then to look at, to I'm going to use the words again, allow myself to go through a stage of anger turned outward. I want to blast my spouse, God, whatever, wait. I then go to anger turned inward. I want to, which is often what we call depression. I want to shame myself. I want to mm. look, you idiot. You spent all these years, you, you, all the time you've invested, that the time's the one commodity we never get back, okay? And then you keep working through this. There's this idea then of facing, I think the rawness of the true grief, the debt as we've called it, and then there's acceptance of just, I accept, and I think it absolutely, the grief research shows it, takes time to give myself permission, get a guided friend, counsel, read a book to go, where am I in the stages of grief? Grief Because the end of a marriage is the death of a marriage and all that goes with that and allow myself the time. That's why I said again, to bop right into a new relationship, you're gonna be paying for that later. Mm -hmm. Give yourself the permission and time, have someone walk with you to grieve. And are all are, are there more stages to grief, or is that is that pretty? They're much usually it? the five, and you can people can Google this five to some people do seven stages of grief. It used to be taught that maybe in nine months you're around, and I think you no, know, for the rest of your life that there's a sense that this can circle back in an anniversary. You did it earlier in the podcast. Mm-hmm. It was right about this week. Mm-hmm. And people mm-hmm. will have what we call the versaries. You know what an anniversary is? There are these moments. The body keeps the score without knowing it. The body will go. Why have I been feeling, they come to my office, why have I been feeling this? We try to find it out and say, oh yeah, and by the way, I just realized it was two years ago that this D-Day happened. I went, yeah, your body remembers it. So that piece, the stages, mainly the five stages of grief will pretty much cover it, but you may go through those again and again, and you may not. And so is there this sense though, if we're cycling around in this grief and then all of a sudden we're back at shock and denial, are we healing? Are we not healing? Are we moving forward? Are we not moving forward? Well, my thought goes to both and. You know, I would, if someone comes in my office, I would say, let's look at for a moment, we certainly as therapists look at a lot of the painful stuff. Let's look at how are you different? I have a, I have a, a scar in my body where I went through a pane of glass. Is it healed? Yes, can it still be tender at times? Yes, mm-hmm. both and. So and healing, I'll say, well, how do you think? Let's look at some, what are some things that are different? You know what, Jim? Normally a show would come on TV on adultery or something a friend would be in adultery and it would trigger me, it would knock me into next week. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? It knocked me only into yesterday. I said, ah, sounds like a level of healing. It's wow, not. That's good. That's that assessment to go, okay. I'm gonna, if you wanna be healed, E-D, H-E-A-L-E-D, you gotta go to heaven. And Jim, would you say cele- celebrate that victory? Like so celebrate? I, I do celebrate it. Right? Some people just need an Ebenezer, they need a yeah. remember, remembrance to say, you've just told me it would knock you this far back and now it's only knocked you this. Hey, look at the progress. That's we call right. it progress, not perfection. If they yeah. can, because we'll get lost in our trauma story. I haven't moved any at all. And it's like, no, 
we see the evidence that you're healing. There's more to go. Yeah. And here's just one practical thing I'll say, and then we need to wrap up this uh, episode today. But every time I experience a trigger, it carries me back to the depth of that pain. Of course. Um, and it is, like you said, I remembered, you know, right about this time is when things fell apart three years ago. So, um, so there are triggers that happen. And I used to see the triggers as a setback. And I, I would just get so frustrated and I would say, I don't think I'm moving forward. The pain is still deep. I still cry. I still ask why, you know, and it's messy um, and all of that. But now I don't see those triggers as setbacks. I see them as God's unfolding grace. It's time to deal with another layer. It's time to deal with another layer. Go. It's time to deal with another layer. And each time something pops in my brain, sometimes I think I'm too eager to attribute that to the enemy attacking me. Yeah. But what if, whether it's the enemy attacking me or yeah. not, what if placed in the hands of God and um, trusting the redemption with God. And Joel, I'd love for you, before we end today, to give that a pure definition of redemption. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. hang on to that. Yep. But what if it's part of the process of redemption with God mm -hmm. is memories unfolding slow enough for us to address the layers and it's not taking us back. It's not setbacks, it's actually set ups for moving forward. And there, it's almost like stairs. Let's take another step and another step, and another step, and another step. So the triggers don't just have to be, take the thought captive, remove it, it's from the enemy. That's right. What if it could be a gentle prodding of God to say, here's another, what could feel like a setback, but it's actually a setup. Address this with me, move forward with me, press into me, give this to me, walk through this with me, and I will help you heal step by step by step. Look where you, by your own analogy and your truth, where were you three years ago? You've already said that. Mm -hmm. And just look where we're sitting right now. Yeah, I was Three in the years fetal. Later, you're talking about active redemption right mm -hmm. now. You yes, were I was in the fetal position in your office, could not even process how to lift my head up, how to even walk out of your office. I, I think one time I even had to have a friend come with me because I knew she was literally going to physically have to carry yeah. me out of the office. And um, so the redemption of God, it's not only possible, but let me be a representation mm. of what is possible. I love deep, so I hurt deep. Yes, that's but good, I like that. Because I love deep and I hurt deep, I can also heal deep with God. And one thing I always told you, I'll tell you again today and for the next million years, I believed, and believe it now, you were on a path of redemption with, and this isn't some pipe dream or a bumper sticker, with or without your husband. You were on a path. I believe we'd still be sitting at this table doing these podcasts. I believe we'd still be with, or with, it might have sounded different. There could have been a different narrative. I think you just still wrote, wrote a book on this. With, you talked about the epilogue that came in at the end. You would have been on your, per, and that's the hope I want to give people is you want reconciliation and redemption corporately or in your coupleship. And one thing for sure, you can always be redeemed and reconciled with yourself and with God. That's a promise. Yes. Mm. With or without the spouse, I believe you'd have been still on the path, might have looked differently. We're on a different path, thank God, all that you all have been through. But three years ago, all that trauma, look where we are. And that's hope for anyone watching or listening today, they can have it too. Thank you. Okay, we're gonna wrap up today, but Joel, give us that 
purest definition that you can think of of redemption with God so that people can really sink their teeth into what their pursuit is? I think the, the words that echo in my head are C.S. Lewis's Great Exchange. Mm-hmm. Redemption is a great exchange. The debt has been paid. Um, we have Colossians 1.13, we've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is really what redemption is. I want to end us with Ephesians 1.7 as we talk about divine reconciliation. I just love this verse that Paul writes in him. If you have your Bibles and you're just doing some Bible study, I just want to encourage you, highlight, if you highlight or circle, every time you see in him, in Christ, just that phrase, it's so powerful. There's a lot of that in Ephesians. There's a tremendous times. amount in him. We have redemption through, there's your preposition, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Mm. Amen. Oh, thank you, Joel. Thank you, Jim. Thank you so much for listening today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Therapy and Theology, How Do I Get Through This? podcast series. Before we let you go, we wanted to point you to a few resources that could be helpful if you want to dig deeper into this subject. The first resource is Lisa Turkhurst's latest book, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. Y'all, this book has been on the New York Times bestselling list for weeks and for a very good reason. Lisa is so real and raw with her struggle over the past three years and helps you learn to wrestle well between your fate and your feelings in whatever circumstance you're going through. You can purchase your copy today at p31bookstore.com. Now, before we let you go, we want to tell you about two other resources that we think might be helpful after listening to this episode. The first is the American Association of Christian Counselors. You can go to aacc.net if you're considering engaging with a counselor. And Mm -hmm. we really highly recommend it if you're wrestling through some of these really, really hard subjects. As you heard today, there's really, it's a fantastic resource to have a counselor walk alongside you. So we would really encourage you to do that. The second is our prayer wall at proverbs31.org. We'd love to encourage you to go there, scroll to the bottom of the page of proverbs31.org, and you'll see prayer requests. Mm-hmm. You can click that, you can add in your prayer request there, and we really would. Our staff really does pray for mm-hmm. you on a daily basis. So go there, we would be honored to pray for you. Well, thanks again for listening to today's episode. We pray it helps you know the truth of God's word and live that truth out because I promise that when you do, it really will change everything. We'll see you next week. Mm